When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. Go behind the wheel, under the hood, and beyond with Car Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Scott Benton. And I'm Ben Bolin. Ben, let's just say that you're in a very remote location. I mean, really, really remote. Okay, like um, maybe the Australian outback? Yeah, yeah, let's say like you're in a town where there's one road in, one road out. Okay. Okay, and maybe it's like a two-lane road. Uh, very. I'm just trying to tell you it's a desolate region, right? A desolate area. Gotcha. But you still have to supply the town... You know, those, that one road supplies, I guess, or that one road feeds. Oh, yeah, people got to eat. There also has to be fuel. Exactly. The uh, livestock needs, you know, whatever happens to whatever you happen to eat. Anything for the general store, whatever you've got, mm-hmm. right? How would you do it? Well, we have a road, mm-hmm. so I guess the best thing to do would be to transport things over the road, assuming there's no waterway or anything. Mm-hmm. That road is our only connection to the world, sure. right? Sure, yeah. Okay, so... Yeah, there's no railway, no anything like that. No no airfield. Okay. Nothing like that. <laughs> we ruled everything out. So sure. so I guess the only thing you could do would be to haul those materials over the roadway. Yeah, but you would want to uh, to do it relatively efficiently, right? Right, cuz it would be so far away that it wouldn't be efficient at all to just have people, you know, piling stuff in their trunk and driving on a day-by-day basis. No, or taking, you know, one uh, 50 trucks in and out every day, you know, one to deliver produce, one to deliver, um, I don't know, furniture or building whatever. Materials, yeah, yeah. Building materials or um, fuel or whatever it happens to be. But, you know, that would be a lot of, uh, a lot of time, effort, energy, just a lot of wasted effort and, yeah. uh, and, and, um, resources, I guess. So right? you, you have to get the most bang for your buck transport wise. So ideally in these kind of situations, if we remember after the, uh, after the railways were completed in the United States, after the Continental Rail, then that became the best way to supply these desolate towns. Yeah, sure. But in a situation like we're talking about, you know, and, and these do happen, you know, there are places that, are, that can't be supplied by rail, can't be supplied mm. by uh, via water, waterways of any kind. Sure. Um, and this roadway may be the only way in and out. Um, it's very, it becomes very, very efficient to, uh, to use multi-trailer trucks. So trucks that, that carry more than one load, they can carry different items. They could carry, um, sure. you know, one fuel tanker and a, uh, and a, and a box truck that has, 
a box trailer rather that has um I don't know building materials you know mm-hmm. like wood and and nails and you know whatever else it needs screws um also, you know, any any uh, livestock trailers, things like that. This could be multi-use. It could be uh, it could be many different things. And what we're talking about are called road trains. Ah, uh, yes, trains on the road. Now, people in the United States, Scott, are probably familiar with this concept. If you've ever seen a tractor trailer with two trailers, mm-hmm. then in the United States. That might be your closest comparison to a road train on the highway. Exactly. But what we're talking about is uh, in Tennessee what they would call a whole nother other thing. <laughs> yeah, that's probably a good way to say it. And you know what? Let's get this out of the way too, because it was a suggestion from a listener. Mm-hmm. Um, and I honestly, I think we've mentioned road trains in the past. I, I'm pretty sure that we have a long time ago. Yeah, um, in passing. In passing, yeah, but not a full episode. And uh, recently. Um, a new listener, um, his name is, uh, is from Facebook, his name is Mark Robinson. And uh, Mark wrote and said, I've discovered your podcast just a few weeks ago. I love it, but I've managed to uh, to listen to pretty much every single episode uh, during my shift, long shifts at work uh, to keep up the good work. I'm not sure if you've covered this before, but um, I'd like to hear a podcast on road trains because I think that'd be pretty cool. I'd like to know a little bit more about the history and technical specifications of these awesome machines and the trailers. Um, and then Mark is from uh, uh, Bridgend, South Wales, UK. And, oh, and it also says, uh, uh, thanks for making my night shifts a lot easier to bear. So, um, Mark, I hope we can help you out there in the uh, night shift area by by keeping you entertained with uh, with this episode on road trains. And we'll do our best. We've got a ton of notes, I'll tell you that. Right. <laughs> um, and these things, that you know, they're pretty fascinating. And I started to write, and I told you this yesterday, Ben. I was writing, and you can see my notes across the table here. Yeah. They're way too complex to get to everything. And they're far more than I really need to because I got to a point where I was writing and writing, and, and the writing is getting smaller and more kind of pinched at the bottom of the page. And I realized what we're talking about here is just really, really cool giant trains of, of semi-trailers crossing continents. Yeah, and I think that in no way discounts the amazingness of these. Uh, just a sidebar before we go on. It is, I noticed that your notes today look a little bit like, did you see the original Willy Wonka? Yes. Remember when they have to sign that contract? Oh, yes. Before they go in and the yeah. print gets smaller and smaller it's, and smaller? It's a little bit bizarre. Yeah, it's a little <laughs> bit like that. And, uh, and you know, there's no way I'm going to get to all this. And I figured out this kind of... It's kind of, you know, it's good to have it in my head, I guess. Yes. Um, I don't know how many questions I can answer on the fly, but I'll try. Mm-hmm. And if uh, and if we get to something that, you know, I, I sound like I'm giving a little bit, uh, little, I don't know, a little bit more difficult read, I suppose. <laughs> I'm probably squinting and trying to read my own notes. But uh, but I think we should just get right back into it and, and say that these road trains are just exactly what they sound like. Yeah. They're like a train that's on the highway, and there's some special needs that these uh, that these trailers have in mm-hmm. order to work because they don't all work. Um, it doesn't work if you just have a couple, a bunch of regular old, plain old trailers like you would find, you know, in any lot. That's an accident waiting to happen. It really is. These are very uh, specific, a very very special equipment uh, that's put together in such a way that that they operate or they work correctly on tight turns, mm-hmm. uh, going through. Uh, sometimes some city areas, but not very often. Usually it's remote locations, right? Yeah, usually it's remote locations, the the straightaways. Now, we should go ahead and first establish that while these are, while some of the biggest ones, or actually the largest ones, are in Australia, rather, the, the mm-hmm. longest ones, uh, this is not just an Australian thing. These are on multiple continents, and 
there's some history behind this. Too. Yeah, there's quite a bit of history. I mean, these things are they're massive. Some of them have 60 tires. Yeah, uh, sixty tires to, right. to maintain and, and handle. I mean, and they can they can travel up to like um, three thousand kilometers at a shot. You know, between one location and the next. Mm-hmm. So imagine like one end of Australia to the other. And I, I keep mentioning Australia because they're the ones who primarily use these things, um, as far as like in the in the outback, I guess. You know, mm-hmm. in, the, uh, in the long distances where it's very desolate, very open. But we'll find as we go through uh, some of the countries, regions, continents that use them, uh, there's a lot of variation to this. Now you you talked. About history here, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm gonna search for my notes. Talk amongst <laughs> yourselves. Okay, I found it. Found it. Okay, so these go all the way back, Ben, all the way back to the 1850s. Believe it or not, which is amazing. I know. We're talking like uh, the, the Crimean War usage, um, like this this era, like around around that time. Uh, they actually had, um, I guess, it'd be more like uh, you know horses pulling long long trains of um, of wagons. Oh, I see. And that's, okay. that's probably like the, the start of this whole thing. And it was supply used, lines. Exactly. It was for, for military use, right? And, uh, and then it kind of, we'll jump way ahead here, but around, um, 1907, there's something called the Renard Road Train in the United Kingdom that, that shows up in some photographs you can find. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that thing is still around. I think it's in, uh, in, um, a museum somewhere. Renard um, Road Train. Uh, yeah, it's called the Renard Road Train. And, uh, I believe in it, if, Recalling correctly, I think this one had solid tires. I think it had no, uh, you know, no rubber on it or anything like that. It was just the first, but it was the first road train, the one first one that was designed to be used on the road to carry things long distances. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we started using these uh, these traction engines, Um, and that's kind of like what this uh, this Renard road train is like. Uh, But the traction engines really were, if you can imagine, like what looks like a steam engine with uh, with Wheels that have rubber attached to them, like the big metal wheels that have rubber attached to them. Oh, yeah, them. okay, yeah. Um, almost like, uh, you know, the early, early tractors. The, yes. The, the giant early tractors. Mm-hmm. They would pull wagons with with people in them. They would pull wagons with supplies, with mater- you know, for uh, materials for for war, mm-hmm. materials for building, materials for uh, you know whatever happened to be livestock. Yeah. Um, lots of different uses. So you know, we're, we're kind of getting up to about where the 1930s happened here, where. Um, that's kind of an odd way to put that, but um, <laughs> where the modern road trade comes in, and this is this is where like kind of the version that we're talking about really becomes uh, becomes important. Um, Kurt Johansson, um, he's the recognized inventor of the modern road train. Kurt Johansson. Johansson. I think I hope I'm saying that right. Johansson. I think I am. Um, but he had he had had this task of of transporting bulls, and I think that he was only able to carry. Um, something like 20 or something like that. You know, a kind of a, a low number of, mm-hmm. of, of bulls, but he had to carry them like 200 miles. Again, this is in Australia. Very remote location. Had to carry them 200 miles. He's carrying 20 bulls at a time. Well, he got this challenge from somebody. And I would guess that it's the, uh, the person that he was delivering to. <laughs> I, would, I would assume, right? Right. Um, now, how many of these things start with a challenge, by the way? Lots of things start so with a challenge. So many, so many great innovations not just in the automotive field, but in engineering yeah. in general, start with a challenge. I mean, it could be like, uh, I'll bet you 50 bucks you can't do this. Uh-huh. And then someone will spend years and thousands of dollars in order to win that $50 bet, right? There's no way you can make it across the United States <laughs> in 100 So his days. challenge yeah. really was to, uh, he was challenged to build a truck that could carry 100 head of cattle instead of 20. So five times as many. And 
you know, again, this remote location, how are you going to do it? That's, that's a pretty big load because mm-hmm. at this point, 20 is kind of the max. It was the, uh, it was the heaviest load. It was uh, the biggest trailer you could find, et cetera, right? So it took him about two years and, um, he finally got this, this road train running. But get this, Ben, he was inspired by the tracking abilities of something called the government road train. Now, the South, South Australian government, um, just prior to this, had mm-hmm. something that they called the, uh, again, the, the government road train. Uh, and they hauled freight and supplies from South Australia to North Australia. But it had these really unique, um, tracking characteristics. It had these, these wagons that all of the axles were on pivots. All of them could steer. Ah, I see. This is, this is a huge piece of modern road trains. Yeah, they actually call, they call it a self-tracking mm-hmm. trailer. And, uh, the self-tracking trailers, um, made it possible to make, uh, to make any turn, really, because if you were to make a turn in a regular semi or regular, uh, regular, uh, with a regular trailer one after the other, eventually you're gonna clip the apex of that corner. You're gonna, you're gonna have, yeah. have the thing, you know, hopping over the curb or whatever it is. And I'm assuming that where he was going, we're talking about probably boulders and things like that in the way, cactus or whatever. Right. Um, there's uh, mountains. The, yeah. This is again. Let's keep in mind that this is a period in time where paving technology in general just wasn't as prevalent or as there. Exactly. Honestly, we're probably talking about somewhere in the middle of Australia, which which even to today, this mm. this part of the world. May or may not have any kind of uh, any kind of asphalt laid down. So there's uh, there's a great there's a great way to think about this. Um, let's go ahead and let the cat out of the bag here when we talk about how long these things can get. Is mm-hmm. it okay? I, I want to jump ahead. Too yeah, far. no, that's all right. I mean, just just uh, Kurt Johansson, father of the modern road trade, mm-hmm. around the 1930s. Because he got challenged. Because he was challenged and he developed his own self-tracking trailers. Yes. And the reason these self-tracking trailers are important, as we said, uh, the turning uh, aspect here would be impossible to do safely without self-tracking trailers. Now, we're talking about, when we say trailers, the question is, hey, Scott and Ben, how many trailers are you talking about? Oh, my friends, we are talking about six. Six trailers. Now, granted, of varying sizes. Mm Mm-hmm. And there is a reason for that, but that is the largest uh, amount of trailers. So that would be one of the the longest trains you would see. And without these self-tracking trailers, I mean, I, I don't mean this in a derogatory way at all. Scott, these things are beasts. Yeah, they're giant. I mean, it it would not be able to operate. It wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to make a single turn. This would be something for a straight shot, and that was that would be it. Right. Um, so these self tracking trailers, and I I really do want to talk about that in just a minute. Yeah. Um, as far as like you know developments for uh, for warehouse use and things like that, because mm-hmm. it's really important. But um, in order to be able to make any kind of turn. Uh, without completely clipping the corner, you have to yeah. have these self-tracking trailers, and we'll, we'll describe it in a minute. But they're really, if you if you look up the different types of road trains, um, I can see about there's about nine types that are listed here in front of me, um, and variations of these as well. Yes. The descriptions of them, Ben, I'll tell you, I had a little difficulty kind of understanding what they were talking about because um, and it's a very visual thing. You almost have mm-hmm. to look this up to, for yourself to find out, but. Um, the nine variations, and I won't go through all of them, but they have things like a B double, a B triple, mm-hmm. uh, double road train, and then there's a po- there's a variation of that called the pocket road train. Um, there's an A B triple, a B A B quad. Uh, it just goes on and on. I mean, two A B quad. There's all these different variations, and if you look at them, if you visually see them, it helps you understand. And some of these are half length trailers. Some of them are um, 
most of them are on a fifth wheel type assembly where right. um you know it's that uh, that horseshoe looking thing at the back of the you everybody's seen that in the back of a semi right yeah yeah it's the uh it's the hitch yeah, essentially the, the connection the pivot point yeah. for the semi trailer and um and that's probably the best way to put it mm-hmm. and the one that you mentioned the longest one which which actually has a total of 7 7 bodies i guess or seven cargo areas but only six trailers yes you're right six trailers. very good point yeah um it, because the the uh on a on a body and six which is what they call this a body yeah. and six which makes perfect sense um it does not have a fifth wheel setup uh not an attachment like that it's actually a uh, it's a it's a body or rather a box that's mounted to a truck frame mm-hmm. so everybody's seen a box truck frame um, then you have trailers after that, six trailers after that of varying size. There's always this one in the middle that's kind of a dolly trailer. And, uh, again, there's all kinds of dollies. And, you know, this gets very, um, you can get very wrapped up in the jargon that goes along with this. And, and I don't know if we really want to do that, but, um, just to look up, look up body and six hmm. or look up, uh, powertrain. If you don't get, you know, some information about an engine and transmission, uh, look up, <laughs> look up powertrain as far as like, uh, hauling. I well, one thing that, again, I want to emphasize here is for anybody who would like to learn more about these classifications, the best thing to do is to go find a visual um, a visual depiction. There's a great diagram. Scott, is that the one from the Dark Roasted article? This is not. No, this is no, this is, I found this one somewhere else. Okay, I've seen, I've seen this one as well, but they... These abound, and these are a great and fast, quick and dirty way to figure out the differences. Because when you're just looking at a list of the names of the classifications, mm-hmm. it, it very rapidly becomes an alphabet soup. Yeah, exactly. And you know what? I need to say this. I think maybe you already mentioned this, Ben, but the body and six design. Now, the one that has you know seven cargo haulers. Right. Um, this is enormous. I mean, it's a huge, huge thing. The, the thing is that it only operates on private property. There, yes. This this is way too long to be operated on public roads. Even in Australia. Even in Australia. And, and I've got it, you know, just real quickly yeah, yeah. off of this, um, even in Australia, you know, where they use these all the time and all these variations where you have maybe as many as four, three, two, some of these variations have a lot of different different uh, setups, but like as many as four trailers behind them. Uh, a lot of times when they get to a, to a uh, an urban area, they will stop at these switching stations mm-hmm. and they will unhook the, you know the trailers, hook them up to individual um, carriers, individual tractors, so like semis, mm-hmm. and uh, and then haul them through the uh, or you know if that's their final destination. They can either haul them through and then hook them up again at another place, another switching switching station, I guess. Yeah. Or they can haul them to uh, you know the urban area, you know, individually like they would because it's tough to negotiate a city even with a single semi-trailer. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together, and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? 
This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, at the very least, as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Hannah Storm, and my podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, digs deep into the history of professional basketball, along with my own as one of the first female sportscasters. Now let's get you up to speed on what else happened around the NBA today. We talked to all sorts of people I interacted with, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. And recap iconic moments. Yes, he's got it. Here he comes. Ray rocked the baby to sleep and slam dunk. As well as some of the wild stories behind the scenes. We were like, what? What are we in for? The scoreboard crashes before we even tip a game off. Today, the NBA is a global sports and entertainment giant. Players are multimillionaires and cultural icons. Iguodala to Curry. Back to Iguodala. Up for the layup. Oh, blocked by James. LeBron James. And these stories are about how we got here, both on and off the court. And what's next? Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storr on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I am so glad you said that because that is a huge, uh, that's a huge deal, and we would be remiss if we didn't say it. You guys, these these road trains are not barreling through. Uh, the downtown part of Perth or something, you know, no, there, no, no, no. there are zoning laws that are there and should be there, frankly, for safety. Scott, I also want to point out that, um, that when we say these are the largest vehicles or the longest, we, we mean they're the longest street legal or road legal. That's an important qualification. True. And that's why we mentioned, you know, the, the body on six on private property only. Right. And when I say private property, it's probably like a, you know, these could be used by ranchers. Miners. Uh, miners is a big one. Miners yeah. is probably the primary. People hauling, uh, you know, wood or lumber. Maybe yeah. not in Australia. I'm not sure if that's really something, but mining is big there. Right. And, um, you know, building supplies, I guess, if you have to haul them from one part of your property to the next. Heavy machinery. Heavy is machinery. Another huge a, one. That's a big one, Ben. That's it a gets, good one. It gets a little bit, uh, what's the word for this? It gets a little meta because you can see road trains hauling road train pieces. Yeah. It's like yeah. that old exhibit joke on the internet. Oh, yeah. Did yeah. you ever see that? And they do and they do stack up as well. Like they yeah. stack them high. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's even more variation to that because they call that stacking up. Mm-hmm. And, uh, man, it just gets really, really complex. Now, we mentioned that they're, they're in a lot of different countries and regions. Yes. Continents. Yes. Um, and you said they're not really um, using these in city you know, for city hauling, you know, that's that they break them down into individuals for that because it's just more manageable, right? Right. Uh, but when they're out in the on these desolate roads, now Ben, uh, this is surprising to me. In Australia, we'll start with Australia because that's the big user. Yeah. Um, up until 2007, the speeds of these things were unlimited, which I find hard to believe, but it's true. Yes, that also. <laughs> 
that got me, and I checked a couple of sources for mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. because I didn't believe the I didn't believe like the first two or three. Yeah, uh, just because it sounded like one of those factoids. You know, the definition of a factoid is something that is not actually true, sure. but it's repeated so often it becomes treated as fact. And I thought, surely that's a factoid. Why would you want something like that going in at an unlimited speed? But it is, um, at least as far as I could see, it is confirmed, and those uh, these things still run the road uh, because other drivers move out of the way. Oh, they absolutely, they, they rule any kind of road that they're on. I mean, you have to move out of the way because they're not going to be able to swerve. They're not going to be able to go off to it's the It's just uh, like a train. Off to the edge. It's, it's ex- you treat it exactly, you're right, you treat it exactly as if a train were headed your way. Um, and, and I guess it's scary when one of these things passes you because <laughs> I mentioned 2007 that they're, yeah. they're unlimited. Now they're limited to 130 kilometers per hour, which is still then 81 miles per hour. That's fast. This is a big, big, heavy piece of machinery coming your way at 81 miles per hour. That's the maximum speed. But uh, from what I hear, it's pretty terrifying when they pass you going the other direction. Really scary when you're driving in a lane and they, they're passing you. Yeah, because um, who knows how long it will take. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, but I'm, I'm sure that it's blowing around some of the smaller cars. Oh, yeah. So, so we mentioned Australia. They're just the, they're the, the, the largest country. Actually, they have the largest usage of these. They, they carry the heaviest right. loads. Yeah. Most of these things are around 80 to 120 tons in weight. Uh, but some can be all the way up to 200 tons. Uh, so that's just a massive vehicle. Two and three, uh, which they call doubles or triples are, are allowed in most of Australia. Uh, man, some of, some of them are just, Seasonal, I guess. Like if around harvest times, sure. Some places will allow doubles and triples that don't normally allow that. Um, so there's a lot of different rules that are that come into play with these things. You know, weight restrictions, licensing, all those apply all the time. And then you know, we mentioned the assembly lar- yards. They've got a lot of assembly yards. Um, you know, for these switching locations there. Mm-hmm. Canada also is another user of these. They, there they call them something different. They're not always called road trains there. Sometimes they're called um, long continuous vehicles or LCVs, mm-hmm. or they're called extended length vehicles or ELVs, or, get this, they're called energy efficient motor vehicles or EEMVs. Uh, when you think about it, though, I just want to point out, when mm-hmm. you think about it, it's exactly the same as our hypothetical situation earlier. You have a remote place. Very few ways to access it. It is actually much more energy efficient mm-hmm. to have these. I, I think of them as one-man convoys. Mm-hmm. I mean, I know it's not sure. literally just one person driving it, but it, it really is. Uh, it, it really is a marked improvement well, in is, efficiency. It is one person driving it, Ben. It's it's one operator. They've got these long, long chains. I know it takes more than that to operate. I mean, you know, yeah. and there's usually someone with them in the cab, just you know, to make sure everything's going well. Yeah, that's all I mean. A navigator, whatever, but. Um, Again, back to Canada. Yes. There's four types allowed, and then we're getting back into the, uh, the this jargon. Yeah. Um, there's turnpike doubles. There's triples. There's there's what they call a Rocky Mountain double. Uh, there's the Queen City triple that's allowed. I mean, there's all these variations in every country, every region, every continent has its own uh, jargon that they use. So sure. you're going to have to know kind of know what region you're in to look up the right information about mm-hmm. what you're looking for. Um, Western Canada is treated differently than the rest of Canada. In this, this is how strange this gets. Um, British Columbia, for example, they're, they're limited, but doubles are allowed um, between a certain you know location. I think it's Hope and Merritt is where they're allowed to travel between. Um, Alberta, they allow turnpike doubles um, and sometimes triples on most major hide- highways, mm-hmm. which are huge. Triples huge, by the way. 
um, <laughs> Saskatchewan, um, divided highways only. So, you know, there's a restriction there for that. Um, the United States, we've got a few here that can be used on public roads, but we're kind of limited to about two trailers and a, with a dolly um, mm-hmm. to connect, a dolly to connect the two trailers. And that's limited to about 63 feet total. So that's not really all that long, uh, 63 feet. Right, um, in comparison. Exactly, exactly. And some states even allow three trailers. Uh, but it has to be through like less populated states. And That's like get, Idaho, exactly. Montana, Oregon, mm-hmm. and places like that. You know, that, that are wide open spaces. A lot of a uh, lot of room to really let it go. Right. Um, and turnpike, uh, well, turnpike areas like maybe Ohio. Um, I think Northern Indiana has a turnpike. Mm-hmm. Uh, those areas triples are allowed. But again, you have to check it out. And make sure that that's still allowed. I mean, you know, the rules change with these all the time, and it's again seasonal. Yeah. Um, at, at a lot of times. Uh, Europe has a version of this that, you know, Finland, Sweden, Germany, Netherlands, Denmark, Norway. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had a, uh, they had a three year limit on, on these road trains, which is kind of strange. And they had an 82.8 foot length, uh, restriction. So, you know, that, again, that's longer, that's a 20 feet longer than here in the States. Right. Um, and that started in 2008. So that's already expired. I don't know why that was a three year thing, but I believe it was like a study. Like they mm-hmm. were just testing how the, uh, these heavier loads, Probably, uh, you know, if they damaged the the uh, the, the, the pavement, the surface exactly, yeah. um, if they were dangerous as far as accidents go, sure. Uh, which I'm sure, you know, it's really really tough to stop these things. It's a feasibility about. study essentially. Ex- exactly. Yeah. So uh, I'm guess they're they're trying to figure out congestion. You know, if it, if it mm-hmm. alleviates some some traffic, you know, traffic congestion. Um, Mexico allows doubles. Um, but I think that they're starting to change that because they've had a lot of overloading issues down there. So, right. um, you know, the people are trying to push those right to the very max and it's really destroying the roadways and again, very dangerous. Also, another interesting point. I, let me file this under interesting and possibly relevant. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Mexico City itself is built on an aquifer hmm. and Mexico City is sinking. Uh, so the very last thing you would want is, uh, Huge population of heavy vehicles. You don't want a single heavy vehicle traveling over this thing over and over and over again all day long, right? Right, because it would never be a single heavy vehicle. It would be fleets of heavy vehicles in and out carrying that's, exports. That's true. You might have uh, you might have fleets of these uh, these road trains traveling back and forth. Which uh, man, that's its own problem, right? I want to, uh, if we can, I'd like to. I mean, it's very efficient. It's very efficient. Yeah, sure. It's very efficient till the city sinks. Yeah, that's true. Well, they wouldn't be allowed in the city anyway. You know what? That's no. a really good point. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to South Africa. Okay. Uh, so we checked out this really cool article that lists various differing types of, um, I guess we'll call them superlative road trains. You know, the longest, the biggest, the heaviest. Sure. And South African Road Transport Warriors, This the title alone uh, takes the cake for me. But if you if you think about some of the if you think about some of the tasks that these do and some of the industries in South Africa, especially mining, mm-hmm. this does make sense. Um, let me just run through some superlatives for uh, this abnormal vehicle, which literally that's the name on the front. And back. That hilarious? I found yeah. that hilarious when I read this. It's it's labeled abnormal on the front and back. Yes, which, which is ridiculous, but uh, that's kind of funny. And that's, uh, the front is 160 meters away from the back, just to get into some stats oh, here. Oh boy. Uh, it has the largest trailer, it's 338 wheels, 
It's the trailer alone. 338 wheels. Mm-hmm. Which makes it the largest on-highway vehicle in the world. It has a 370-ton Siemens generator. That that combination load is about 860 tons. It has the way it drives, and this is something I want to get into with you. The way it drives, it has five trucks in one line. Wow. So they're making 4,000 horsepower. Well, this is like a, like a true train. Like when you yeah. see multiple engines hooked up to, uh, mm-hmm. to a long load of coal or something like that, right? Right. And, you know, you've, I, I know you've seen this picture because we were emailing this article to each other. Sure. But, uh, that, that's a necessity. It's also to, to some people, maybe the question would be, why don't you just have a single vehicle with a larger engine, right? Well, I guess I can understand that. Yeah, sure. But, um, you know, with, with all these different, see, each one of these, these driving vehicles, though, carries a payload also. Yes. So, so it's like you're putting engines in the middle of the vehicle and just making it that much more efficient, right? Yeah. And, and is there, I mean, I'm not sure about this one. Mm-hmm. And I've seen others that, that have one single operator and this is all connected via a drive-by wire system. This one looks like it's an older system. I doubt that's the case. Uh, yeah, would, the, it's, no, yeah, I think this you're is, right. This, this is, is more older. run on like, uh, you know, radio where they're synchronizing, like, okay, let's accelerate. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> like, I, don't, uh, I don't know like exactly. Fire how. trucks, the guy I, at the end saying, okay, yeah. we can turn now. <laughs> turn, turn left. Yeah, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't exactly know how that one drives specifically, but I know that some of the newer versions, uh, mm-hmm. that have power in the middle as well. Yeah. Um, those are operated, you know, via, um, automatic transmission. They're connected to an automatic transmission. And uh, that's all connected via a drive-by wire system, which which operates, you know, fluidly with the single operator at the very front. So that's okay. complete. That's probably completely different from the one you're looking at. Yes, that's a good point. That is uh, some more modern things. Uh, mm-hmm. I have, speaking of interesting road trains, I have something a uh, a little bit conspiratorial that I thought would be fun—a blast from the past. Sure. I forgot to put it in a, the history part of our episode. Let's hear it. All right. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith. When I'm not at my day job, first tape, you can find me in my studio hosting the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and politics. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions on those nauseating cowboy fans, the chaos in Washington, D.C., and trending topics on social media, as well as my straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. And I occasionally give out love advice. Yes, it's true. 
If you want to know my true feelings about something, I'll give it to you straight. So, listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Secret Nazi technology, my friend. Oh, really? You remember this one? Did you read about this one? I I did, but you're right. Yeah. So, uh, as, as history fans may know, uh, fans of military history as well, uh, I'm going to go ahead and butcher this pronunciation, but during World War II and in the uh, lead-up to World War II, uh, Nazi regimes, the Nazi regime, rather, worked on what's called Wunderwaffen, or wonder weapons. And so these would be, um, this was the R&D that later led to improvements and stuff like aerodynamics and rocketry and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the things that they worked on at this time was a super truck, is what they called it. And you can see the old model, uh, which it's not as long as these other, as, as these convoys that were actually built. And it, w- it was in the planning stages. Uh, so people have completed a model of it, but the same, this, the aim was still the same. Okay, yeah, like here's the partially constructed model. Well, let me tell you, that's a grainy photograph, uh, the black and white photograph there. Yeah. That's a true photograph, isn't it? That's a, yeah, that's that's somebody a real... standing next to a, uh, a, a full um, mock-up, a, uh, a real, the real deal. That probably drives. Yeah, if the, I had to guess. Uh, or a the drove. idea, yeah, <laughs> the, I, the idea, they, they called it half realized, um, their, their idea, their aim was different because, you know, as we know, a lot of the engineering innovations in the world start in the military mm-hmm. or in racing. Out of necessity. Out of necessity, exactly, Scott. And so this one was designed, uh, more to cross minefields. Mm. And it's, it's strange, um, so it's, so it's heavily armored. It's heavily armored, which yeah. adds to the weight and probably, if this thing had been completed, then it's it's pure speculation, but it's quite possible that this would have um, led to a German line of what would ultimately become road trains. You know? Sure, yeah, and you know what? These things would have been invaluable to them because they could have uh, they could have loaded up troops, mm-hmm. materials, whatever. Drive straight across minefields, right across enemy lines, open up, and there you go. I mean, that's uh, that could have been uh, devastating, you know, for us. So, so, man, that could have been a uh, quite a weapon of war. Yeah, it could carry up to uh, fifteen hundred and twenty U.S. tons. So that's thirteen seventy metric tons. Wow. Um, it didn't have the uh, haulage distance limitations hmm. that long haul trucks can still have. Okay. So, uh, so that was that was a ba- a blast from the past. Um, if anything, I say that because a, 
you know, I've never let relevance or irrelevance stop us from mentioning something cool <laughs> on the show. But but also, B, it, it, I think it really does show that um, the that countries across the world realize the benefit of transporting goods this way. Understood. Understood. That's a cool. That's a cool thing, by the way, because you know they took the the uh, the grainy photograph that I mentioned from uh, from World War yeah. Two, and uh, and there were some drawings, I guess, as well. Mm-hmm. You know, some detailed drawings, like uh, some cutaway type stuff that you know an engineer had drawn, and somebody has built a miniature model of the thing that looks really neat. Uh, mm-hmm. It's probably worth checking out if you can find it. Um, again, it's that dark roasted blend article on on road trains. Yeah. Um, and you know what? I want to talk about. Uh, I want to talk about the power. And go back to the the modern versions of this. And I want to talk about right. the engines. And I've got a little bit about you know like what a what a typical semi trailer semi truck has. What kind of power? What kind of torque? What kind of uh, you know hauling capability? But um, first, I think I want I want to tell you about something that you know you said. Completely different, right? Uh, yeah. Well, uh, it's completely, I don't know. Maybe it's uh, still automotive related, but uh, this is something that I was kind of excited about this one. I almost wanted to mention this one right at the very beginning of our podcast, but I held off. Oh, wow. Um, okay. I found a, a really cool selection on Netflix that I think I want to share with our listeners. And uh, and I tell you, it's it's very dramatic, very uh, very bold in the way that these things are, are portrayed and stated in the, in this trailer that you'll watch. You know, if you if you watch that type of thing before you 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 view these things, which I do, uh-huh. and uh, and I thought, well, I don't know, they're making a lot of bold statements here, but it's called on any Sunday, and it's from 1971, and it's a it's a uh, I guess it's a documentary. It's rated G, um, very you know family friendly type thing. Um, it's a it's a it's about motorcycle sport and all the men who ride. But again, I mentioned it's in 1971. This thing has Steve McQueen in it, Ben. Steve, Steve McQueen. McQueen. Yeah, they they show Steve McQueen in this thing, and as well as many other people at the time, you know, and just and just a lot of amateurs as well, not just professionals, but amateurs. Um, but it's all about motorcycle, motorcycle sport, motorcycle riding of all types. I mean, it looks like a little bit of everything is covered here. And um, the guy that directed it, um, his name is uh, Bruce Brown. And uh, he also did another thing, and I'm just going to mention this, because he did he did something that was kind of the uh, the quintessential surfing movie, uh, which was called The Endless Summer, not, not long before this one. He did this one called On Any Sunday, which is about motorcycles, and it's kind of the same thing for motorcycles as this other movie was for surfing. Uh, a lot of people feel that it's maybe one of the one of the best motorcycle documentaries they've seen hmm. you know, at the time. And um man, again I said it's really really uh, kind of bold in the way it way it talks about motorcycle riders and and the events that they that hmm. they uh you know I, I guess frequent maybe because it goes all over the United States, all cool. over the all over the world, I think. Wow. Um it even includes what they call a, a muddy and murderous motocross race. Um, the the, uh, the torturous mayhem of the Mexican 1000, which was later to be known as the Baja 1000. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the, that track down the Baja Peninsula that's a thousand miles long. It's very, very difficult. Yeah. Um, they do something, on, a segment on the Widowmaker, which is a Salt Lake City, Utah um, event, which I remember, I think, watching this on ABC Wild World of, Wide World of Sports in the 70s. Um, it's a 600-foot high. 45 degree angle hill that people try to climb and up until this point it took well actually just prior to the, uh, to the this film in 1971 in the seven years prior to that no one had summited this thing no oh, one wow. no one had made it so it's just an event like you know people try to get close but they don't make it it's it's really 
amazing to watch. Uh, but again, it's there's a very 1970s feel to this whole thing. The music, the people, mm. the hairstyle, the clothing, <laughs> the bikes. The bikes are amazing, Ben. It's really, it's really, really a cool thing to watch. And again, Steve McQueen makes an appearance through here. Um, it's just a little bit of everything. Motocross, endurance, uh, circle track racing. I think there's even some on-ice stuff. Hill climb, drag racing. Wow. A little it's bit everything. of everything. So, so it's called On Any Sunday. It's from 1971. Definitely worth uh, the Car Stuff listeners' time. And uh, just so you guys know, if you have not heard our show before or our stuff about Netflix Instant, uh, every time we mention a movie on Netflix Instant or a television show, uh, we're mentioning something that is available to you now today. But wait, you might be saying, I don't have a Netflix membership. Well, no problem. You can go to Netflix.com slash car stuff and you can sign up for a free trial. You can check out this film. You can check out thousands of others uh because we we recommend quite a few um yeah i don't know how many we're up to now but we've we've recommended many many uh automotive related mm-hmm. films for people to watch or documentaries it's just a lot of a uh, lot of good stuff out there yeah and it counts as work research for us which is still an amazing gig yeah it's pretty, you think about that pretty incredible uh so these are all you know uh, availability is subject to change, but these are all available when we double check right before we go on air. So let us know what you think, and please also uh, recommend a movie that you think we and other listeners would like to see as well. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I've got a little bit more truck information for our listeners if you'd like to uh, to get back into our road train. Excellent. All right, now, so let's uh, start with regular trucks. Regular trucks. Okay, so let me see. I've got the typical... Uh, typical stats, I guess, for, uh, and this is from a place called, uh, the Truckers Report. Okay. Um, it's just kind of like a general facts about trucks, semi engines versus car engines. Um, uh, but I thought it had some pretty interesting, um, comparisons here. And there's about three that I want to mention here in specific. Um, first of all, I mean, these are, these are enormous things. They're often, they're often six times larger than a typical car engine in size and in weight. So these are giant, giant engines, right? That, that power these things, as you would imagine, right? Yes. Um, the, um, just the, the, uh, the capacities, I guess. Maybe I'll mention the capacity of the oil and that'll kind of give you an idea. Um, a typical car takes between four and six quarts of oil. Just a regular car engine. Uh, four and six quarts. It's not very much. I mean, everybody can picture a quart in their, you know, in right. their mind. It's on the shelf in the garage, whatever. A, a typical semi engine holds more than 15 gallons of oil, Ben. Wow. 15 gallons. So that's enormous. And I know we've talked about, you know, some of these mining trucks that take, you know, um, 55, you know, gallon drums of oil. But these things are, these are surrounding us every day. 15 plus gallons of oil in these things. Massive engines. Um, and I think the last thing that I want to mention here is the, uh, the horsepower and torque because this is what it really comes down to for pulling. Sure. Um, most car engines, and this is just average. I mean, I know there's great variation in this, but just average. You know, maybe 200 horsepower for a car. I feel like that's fair. That's fair. I mean, you're talking about like everything from compacts, compacts up to, to sports cars. Yeah. Um, even some of the trucks, you know, the bigger pickup trucks. Um, but they, and they have around, you know, 100 to 200 found, uh, foot pounds of torque, uh, which is really kind of what we need for pulling or, you know, the right. power for that. And, and for cars, it's more or less just to keep you moving. You're not really, uh, hauling, towing anything with that. So that makes that, that stat even more important for semis. Um, a typical semi will have around 400 to 600 horsepower. So that's already giant, you know, mm-hmm. huge, huge increase. Um, that's just average. Um, but here's where it gets, it's interesting, Ben. The torque on these things, just average, an average semi 
one to 2,000 foot-pounds of torque. All the way up to 2,000 foot-pounds of torque. Wow. Now, that's that's like enough to pull your house over. Yeah, that's just one. And, and you can imagine that, you know, they haul these giant loads around, right? Right. Well, a, 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 uh, a road train, I keep forgetting the name of the thing because it's got so many, <laughs> a power train, a body and six, whatever sure, you want to sure. call it. A turbine. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> so let's say that they've got a, a 600 horsepower engine up front, right, in the main, uh, in the main cab, that the trailer that's carrying this thing, or, or rather tractor that's carrying this thing. Yeah. Um, it's got lots of torque, but it just doesn't have quite enough to pull something as long as a, as a road train. So what they do is they add another 400 horsepower Cummins diesel engine in the middle somewhere in another trailer that you <laughs> yeah. don't see, really. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the one that I was mentioning that's, con- that's controlled with an automatic transmission, usually drive-by drive by wire. wire. So they have a total of about a 1,000 horsepower, and I can only imagine that that also probably doubles the amount of torque. So these things are probably approaching somewhere near 4,000 pound-feet of torque uh, yeah. at the max. That's a lot of torque. But again, these are massive, massive loads. We, we mentioned that I think it's up to 200 tons, right, in mm-hmm. Australia for some of these things. Yes. So they have to have this, these huge, huge amounts of torque. And another note on the Australian road trains, I had read, and I don't know if you had read the same thing, that after the limit was passed, mm-hmm. you know, in 07, sure. that people were tampering with the governor. Really? Yeah. So they might still be barreling by oh, at a gosh. slightly higher speed. Yeah, you know, they, they do have some speed limits. And I, we mentioned, you know, that mm-hmm. uh, I, I think recently they've got a newer um, Australian heavy lim- uh, heavy vehicle limit, which is around 62 miles an hour, about 100 kilometers per hour. Mm-hmm. Um, except I think there's some exceptions in, like, Queensland, South Australia, where it's just about, it's a little lower. So it's like 56 miles per hour or 90 kilometers per hour. And then, like, Western Canada, they have a limit. You know, they, each mm-hmm. each place has their own limit. I think... In Canada, Western Canada, it's around 62 miles per hour again. Um, and if it's posted, they can go all the way up to about 68 miles per hour, which is like 110 mm-hmm. uh, kilometers per hour. So these speed limits for these uh, these massive vehicles on the road, they, they, they change around quite a bit. I mean, you got to really know your stuff. you got to really know, like, the licensing restrictions. Yes. Um, you know, the, the weight restrictions. you got to know the uh, the speed limits. you got to know when it's allowed, you know, if it's a seasonal thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's just a lot of rules and regulations to really be up on in order to operate one of these things. Yeah, and these these people who are driving these are professionals and like any other pers like any other driver in a very large vehicle, um they are constantly assessing safety. So when you know one thing that I always want people to know if you're driving on an interstate or something, you know, there, there are types of courtesy that you should grant every semi-driver. Sure. Which, uh, We've talked about that many yeah, times. Yeah, we have. And I'm going to talk about it again because I think it's so important. Sure. Don't ever cut off the semi. Mm-hmm. You know, don't ever, no matter how much you like hypermiling, I know I sound like somebody's nagging grandma on this part, Scott. But, yes, I understand that you can surf the wake of these things, and you can get a little bit more efficiency. But is that efficiency worth a car accident? Don't do it. Yeah, I think we've uh, we've had a MythBusters episode on that, right? Where they yeah. they followed at different lengths to see how much they could save. And I think once they got closer and closer, they were like, "Oh, this! If we weren't in a uh, in a uh, a controlled environment, this is scary. There's no way I would be doing this on the highway." There. Uh, so with that disclaimer, I'm sorry. This just all that just to say this goes double triple, quadruple, mm-hmm. body and six for uh, road trains. They'll, exactly. 
Don't mess with them. They have enough going on. You know, take a picture while they're driving by if you want, and you're not in a car. If you're brave enough to stand there as one passes, because uh, I would guess that one of these things in motion, you know, at 81 miles per hour with uh, with seven trailers behind it, oh, my gosh, that's got to be just terrifying to see. I have one thing that we should add, which I think we talked about off air, uh, the United Arab Emirates. Oh, yeah, that's right. You know, let's uh, tell you what. Let's make this our our one last thing. How about that? Okay, Just one more thing. One more thing. Okay, one more thing. The United Arab Emirates uh, are actually using quite a few road trains. They're using something called the ETF haul train. Mm -hmm. And the ETF haul train, just like that, uh, weirdly enough, just like that Nazi design we mentioned earlier, these can haul up to 520 U.S. or 13 and 70 metric tons. These look like... They look like something out of a science fiction novel, don't well, they? Well, you know, they look like, uh, to me, yeah, they do look like that. They, they look like something out of science fiction or something you'd see like as on a, on a Mars, um, um, future Mars mission. fantasy yeah. mission of some kind, right? They're, <laughs> right. they're amazing looking, these, uh, these drawings that I'm seeing here. Yeah. Um, but the thing about these is that each one of them has its own cab and its own power source. So yeah. each single one is powered. Now, now, just to give you a description of what they're like, each one has five axles on each vehicle, and each of those axles, each each of those wheels, um, each axle has all-wheel drive, all-wheel steering. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they're able to negotiate tight turns, or at least you know negotiate turns in long trains, like we're talking about. Each one of these can be hooked up to another one. In I would guess, Ben, I'm going to say an unlimited amount, right? I mean, it, if they're powering themselves. Why not? Yeah, according to the ETF website, these these are primarily they were designed for mining hulls. Mm-hmm. Um, according to the ETF website, they they say four or more. So theoretically, you can link them all together using a steel arm that has a data cable connecting. So you still drive by wire. Mm-hmm. Um, this so you just need the first operator in the truck to uh, guide the following trucks, and they'll they'll all be kicking in with get this. 3,700 horsepower. Yeah, that's it for each truck. Each truck, yeah, each not total. truck. So so you start multiplying that by the number of trucks involved, and they say up to four or more. Yes. So it's just this, this massive, massive amount of horsepower, and I'm sure the torque is incredible in these things. There's none listed here. That's why I'm not giving you the numbers, but um, mm-hmm. they show it on an uphill climb out of a, a, an enormous quarry. And um, again, just one operator at the head of these four vehicles that are that are steering themselves right out of the quarry. I mean, well, yep. he's steering the driver's steering, right, right. But um, but they're tracking precisely where the lead truck is. Uh, they're, they're not, you know, they're not varying from that main track at all. And they have three-way dumping capability, and it's neat because they can. Um, it reminds me of some stuff that old, well. Robotics professors would tell me about excitedly, which is the idea of smaller units that are able to swarm together mm-hmm. because these things can also detach and then go separate ways. If it comes to it, I mean, that is frankly amazing. This is really cool. Yeah, I, I feel old because I didn't know. I mean, you know, I just need to catch up with the time, Scott. And uh, I guess we're on our way out, but one of the things that we should probably leave people with is that if you would like to learn more about road trains, especially in Australia, uh, check out the Australian Road Train Association, formed in 1989. Uh, this is where you can learn more about how road trains work uh, from the nuts and bolts 
to how they function in Australian industry today. Uh, we'd also love to hear from any road train operators, road train builders, people with experience. Uh, you can let us know what you think on Facebook. Drop us a line on Twitter. We got one last thing. Well, I kind of do. I want to mention if you're in Australia. You can go to a place called the, uh, the National Road Transport Hall of Fame in Alice Springs, which is in northern Australia, yeah. and uh, and you can check that out. And there's a, there's a matter of fact you can you can look at the uh, the original government road train that gave um, gave the idea to Kurt Johansson to build his uh, the first I guess official privately owned road train. So That's you can awesome. see you can see both of those. You can see his train, the government train, and Kurt's road train. And if you do happen to go there, if you have the opportunity. You know, don't go out of your way, but Scott and I would love some pictures, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Stand inside one of the wheels, you know, because uh, these are massive wheel things. Yeah, that's the that's the good shot. Um, or the uh, send us a collection of those photos, or just a suggestion for an upcoming topic. Our email address is carstuffatdiscovery.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. Let us know what you think. Send an email to podcast at HowStuffWorks.com. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right. 